When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Today's episode of Get Booked is brought to you by TBR, Book Riot's quarterly book recommendation subscription service. Sign up only takes a few minutes. Just answer a couple of questions about what you like to read and what you're looking for. Link up to your Goodreads profile if you have one, and you're done. TBR subscribers are matched to bibliologists based on their requests. If you love thrillers and want to read more romance, you're looking for poetry by writers of color, maybe also some space operas, we've got someone who knows just what to choose for you. Each TBR delivery contains three titles in the recommendations only level or three new hardcovers, and you'll receive a new shipment every three months. You can give your bibliologist feedback, update your requests to stay in line with your reading goals and your expanding horizons, and basically have your own personal book concierge. Recommendations only is $15 a quarter or $49 a year. Hardcovers are $75 a quarter. Um, plus $4.79 shipping, and annual subscribers receive free shipping. Recommendations only is available worldwide. Hardcovers are available in the U.S., so go to mytbr.co to sign up. This is the Get Book Podcast, a weekly show for personalized reading recommendations. This is episode 168, and we are recording on February 12th. I'm Amanda Nelson, and I'm here with Maya Nunnally, and we are coming to you from Book Riot. Welcome, Maya! Hello. <laughs> Maya is a contributor and also a bibliologist for TBR. As you all heard on the show last week when Jen had um, Christina on, we're bringing some bibliologists on every week for the month of February to tell you a little bit about TBR and what they do. You already know what TBR is because I just told you in the pre-roll read <laughs> before I introduced her. Um, so Maya is going to tell you a bit about what being a bibliologist is like. So take it away. What is yeah. that? Yeah. <laughs> um, so it's really fun. Um, kind of my dream job uh, because I love recommending books to people anyway, but now I get paid to do it. Um, and it basically means that someone signs up and they put down the genres they like, the themes they like, the tropes or the ones they don't like, um, their favorite authors or books, etc. Um, and their Goodreads, hopefully, which helps me uh, recommend books that they haven't read yet. Um, and then I get all that information and I look through it and then I um, come up with three books that I think they would enjoy. Um, and then if they stick with a subscription over time, they can tell me um, if they liked what I picked, if they wanted something different, and then I can like keep honing to make sure that they're getting the right stuff. That's awesome. That is really a dream job, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like I will just tell you exactly what you need for your book heart. That's great. Um, so we are going to skip the what are you reading stuff because we usually do that at the top of the show, but we've introduced you, so we don't need to do that this time. Um, so how the show works. As I mentioned at the beginning, this is a show for personalized reading recommendations. So if you need a reading rec for yourself or your book club or a gift for someone or maybe you're you know, traveling somewhere awesome and want to read books based in that place, whatever it is, we take all of those requests. You can send them to us at getbooked at bookriot.com if you want to email them to us, or you can use the form in the show notes uh, on the site. To the very bottom. If you uh, if your request is time sensitive, please let us know. Put it in like big letters in the subject line of your email, or in big letters in the first line of your request if you're using the form, so that we can get to it on time. We might email you back if we're not going to get to it on time, or uh, you know, on the show, or if it's a question we've already answered, 
Um, we'll email you back whatever the relevant episode is of the podcast. Um, and that is it. We're going to skip feedback. We're going to go right on into our questions and our first sponsor. So our first question is from Melissa, who says, I teach ninth grade honors English in Texas, and I'm looking for a title to add to my novel unit for the spring semester. I currently have my classes choose between The Book Thief, Extremely Loud and Incredibly Close, and Ender's Game. Ultimately, I'd like to find a book that hits a different level of interest for 15 or 16-year-olds and can provide insight into a social issues research project that will close our unit, preferably a book that is relatively similar in length to the other titles. Okay, before we get to recommending our uh, picks for you, Melissa, we're going to talk about our first sponsor. Well, I'm going to talk about our first sponsor, um, which is Smoke and Summons by Charlie N. Holmberg. This is the first book in the Numina trilogy, um, and if you recognize the name Charlie Ann Holmberg's bestseller, author of the Paper Magician series, um, and in this new series, Smoke and Summons is the first book. Uh, it's about a woman named Sandis who is a human vessel for an ancient spirit, and she is commanded by her master. She can be transformed against her will into his weapon, which is this like raging monster, you know, summoned to do his bidding. Unlike other vessels, she can host like really powerful spirits, but it can be fatal. So to save her own life, she has to run away from this situation. Um, and she finds a really surprising ally in Roan, who is a cunning thief for hire, which is like one of my favorite tropes in any genre of book. I love a cunning <laughs> thief for hire. Um, and he owns a rare device that grants him immortality for one minute every day which is a handy-dandy advantage when you're fighting for your life. So she teams up with Roan. Uh, Sandis teams up with Roan, runs away from her master. But he is determined to get her back, and he has the man- manpower to find her no matter where she runs, so she has to outwit him. So uh, excellent adventure, fantasy adventure. Go check that out. That is Smoke and Summons by Charlie and Holmberg, and thank you for sponsoring the show. All right. So we are looking for ninth-grade honors English um, novels uh, for 15 to 16 year olds. I'm just going to keep talking. So I'm on a roll now. <laughs> so my first pick for this, well, my only pick for this is The Hate You Give by Angie Thomas. I feel like I don't even need to tell you why or like explain <laughs> the book at all because, well, obviously it's a huge popular novel, big bestseller, and the movie came out last October. So if your kids like the book, um, they can go see the movie. I picked this one because I think it would be really relevant for a social just or social issues unit. Um, and also because Star, who is the main character of the book, is 16. Um, and I think that kids in high school especially really enjoy reading um, about characters their own age. Um, and it's just really well written. Like, it's amazingly well written. And it's um, it's lo- like it's comparable in length, I'd say, to all of these no- the novels that you mentioned, Extremely Loud and Incredibly Close. Um, but it's a really fast read. Like, I read it in a day. I don't know that, like, a 15-year-old is going to read it in a day. But maybe. Uh, but it's very <laughs> engaging. Um, so Star, I'll give a quick plot synopsis because you probably already read it or seen it, but Star, uh, Star is 16. She lives kind of in like two worlds. She lives in a poor neighborhood with her family, but she attends a really fancy suburban prep school that she, you know, that her mom drives her to outside of her neighborhood every day. And so it's this, you know, kind of awkward, uneasy balance that she has. She is kind of two different people depending on where she is. Um, and then one night at a party, one of her childhood best friends who she is in the car with named Khalil is shot by a police officer and she's the only witness. And then it gets out that she was the only witness. She gets all these pressure. She gets this pressure at home to speak up and say something um, publicly about what happened to Khalil. She gets pressure at school to not do that. Um, and she has to decide for herself which is the right path when all of these other voices all these mostly adult other voices are, you know, telling her which is the right way to go. So obvious relevance to what's happening in our country right now. Um, and I think just a really good book for, 
for 16 year olds, especially in like a guided classroom setting. I think there's lots of opportunities for conversation here. So that is The Hate You Give by Angie Thomas. All right, Maya, what you got? Okay, so my recommendation is The Disturbed Girl's Dictionary um, by Nonika Ramos. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. Um, This book was so good. I just read it recently. Um, It's definitely in that age range. Um, It is uh, Macy. I don't know if we learn her exact age, but she's around 15, 16, 17. Um, And her school classifies her as disturbed, which is why it's called The Disturbed Girl's Dictionary. It's in a dictionary format, um, but not in the way you would think. It's more just like um, the chapter titles go from A to Z and they correspond with what's happening in her life. Um, And she has a lot going on in her life. Um, Her brother was just taken away by Child Protective Services um, because of a very unsafe uh, home atmosphere. Um, She just got into a fight with her best friend when the uh, novel starts. um, And she has a lot of trouble in school because um, her school, I think, just doesn't have the right resources, like a lot of schools don't, to deal with um, kids who might, you know, have different learning styles or developmental disabilities. Um, And so, yeah, but it's incredibly funny. Uh, Macy is just like one of the best protagonists I've seen in a while. Um, She just has so many like catchphrases, um, things she says, like she always says, like, I heart him. Like when she's talking about someone she really likes, she's like, I heart him so much. Um, And uh, but yeah, it also talks a lot about really important social issues, I think, uh, revolving around um, just like uh, child safety. Um, There's talk of um, sexual assault, um, and how, um, certain people aren't afforded the same, you know, help that people need once they've been through trauma. Uh, like Macy isn't because she lives in a poor neighborhood. She doesn't have a lot of money or resources. Um, it's also just a fantastic book and not too long. So. All right. Let's see. Uh, Oh, could you repeat the title for the listeners? Sorry. Oh yes. Sorry. Um, that's the disturbed girls dictionary by Nonika Ramos. All righty. And you are reading our next question. All right. Uh, This person, Alex, says, I'm looking for fiction for my wife, who is a huge fan of heist movies, soap opera levels of drama, and sexually liberated female protagonists. She doesn't read fiction for the most part, but her favorite media include Ocean's 8, Mrs. Fisher's Murder Mysteries, and the Netflix show Cable Girls. Her academic specialization is refugee studies and the Middle East. So if there are any recommendations that take that feature either that would be fantastic thank you for your assistance in my overly narrow search (laughs) okay i picked a romance novel stay with me all right (laughs) i picked one good earl deserves a lover by sarah mclean and i picked this because it has a heist in it that the author based off of oceans eight so i think it'll be a nice you know like i think that you really enjoy this and talk about sexually liberated female protagonists so um, in One Girl Earl Deserves a Lover, this is, I'm sorry, I totally neglected the refugee part of this question. This is like Regency England, so super far away from that topic. Um, but the main character's name is Lady Philippa Marbury, and she is kind of an odd daughter of, you know, a Marquess, or I don't ever know how to say that, of a landed gentry <laughs> person <laughs> in Regency England. Um, she's super into science. She's not very, like, socially aware. She's pretty awkward. Um, and so she's a, become recently engaged to like a nice guy named Lord Castleton, who she doesn't have any feelings for whatsoever. Um, but he asked and she needs to get married because that's what you do. Right. Um, <laughs> so she's agreed to get married. But before she gets married, her like science brain wants to go out and get 
quote unquote ruined. Like she doesn't want to be actually ruined, but she wants information about sex because she doesn't know <laughs> what she's agreeing to, right? Like in the in the wedding vows, there's this all this language about love and obey and blah 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 blah, but she doesn't know how to do any of that. And she knows that like something is supposed to happen on the wedding night, but she has no clue what she's doing. Um and she just doesn't want to like she wants some agency in the situation, right? So she approaches a man named Cross who runs, you know, like one of London's most notorious gambling halls, who's like a friend of her brother-in-law and asks him to help her do this, to like give her information about what sex is like and how to be good at it. And like, so she doesn't go into her wedding totally terrified. Um, And of course he refuses at first, but this is a romance novel. So I'm sure you can figure out how that (laughs) refusal, you know, goes not well, doesn't go well. Um, And while that's happening, Cross is getting taken advantage of by another gambling hall um, owner who he has a deep, like, seedy history with who has taken Cross's sister deep into this um like scheme and is threatening to ruin her and all this kind of stuff so I don't want to like totally spoil I don't want to spoil the ending but there is a big heist like Pippa helps put on or kind of orchestrates a big heist in order to help Cross get out of this situation and like save his sister um and it is totally Ocean's 80 like it's like there are so many different side characters who come together to like make this thing happen there's like fake dice and she wears a wig and it's just like (laughs) what's happening um but it's amazing it's super entertaining uh and it was like the book that got me into romance so if she's never read a romance novel before this is a great first pick yeah so that's One Good Earl Deserves a Lover by Sarah McLean Nice. Okay. So um, I also picked kind of a romance book, but I wouldn't, I don't know if it's qualified as a romance. Um, and it's The Seven Husbands of Evelyn Hugo by Taylor Jenkins Reid. Um, besides the book just being fantastic, um, when uh, the person asked, when Alex asked for soap opera, soap opera levels of drama and sexually liberated female protagonists, I, this immediately came to my head. Um, Evelyn Hugo is this. Um, aging Hollywood icon um, who is uh, kind of like the Mar- she was the Marilyn Monroe of her day um, and she is finally ready to tell her life story which she's been kind of private about um, so now she's ready to tell her life story and she chooses the main character Monique Grant for the job um, it, which is a part of the re- it's part of the twist of like why why choose this like unknown reporter um which is a great part of this book part of the soap opera levels of trauma um and so Evelyn Hugo's life is first of all a sexually liberated female protagonist that is her like she knows what she wants which has become this amazing star um and she will do anything to get there um see the seven husbands part of this um (laughs) uh but yeah she's just fantastic um she's like one of the best characters um i've seen uh especially when she deals with um just things like stardom um love uh she she i won't spoil too much but she has a love that's not quite uh it's not quite acceptable in the time um and yeah she it's just amazing um there's no heist in it or middle east refugee studies but i got i got some of the I got some of the uh, categories there that you were looking for. That is uh, The Seven Husbands of Evelyn Hugo by Taylor Jenkins Reid. All right. Our next question is from Jessica, who says, A few years ago, I bought a copy of Mr. Penumbra's 24-hour bookstore by Robin Sloan, brought it home, put it on my bookshelf, and much to my surprise, when I was trying to go to sleep, I realized that it glows. It does. It does glow. It, like, glows in the dark. And the same thing happened to me. I bought it and put it on my bedside table. And then when I turned my lights on, I was like, wow, what is happening? It glows in the dark. 
Um, okay, back to the question. Maybe a year later, I came across Radioactive by Lauren Redness, which is a visual biography of Mary and Pre- uh, Pierre Curie, which also glows. Ever since then, I've been on the lookout for more books that glow, but have been unsuccessful. Um, in lieu of a luminescent read, I would also accept a book in which the reading experience goes beyond just words on a page. I'm thinking something along the lines of Miss Peregrine's series by Ransom Riggs, which is inspired by old photos. Um, another example is Echo by Pam Munoz Ryan, which encompasses multiple stories, including a fairy tale. The fairy tale pages are formatted differently than the rest of the book. Music is woven throughout, and actual harmonic music is included. House of Leaves seems like it would work, but I'm a scaredy cat, and horror things are just <laughs> not my thing. Okay, um, so I think what you're looking for—I don't. In my head, I want to—I call these like illuminated books, which I'm totally stealing from like medieval monks who drew <laughs> pages of the Bible with like big fancy drawings, illuminated manuscripts. Um, but books that have like extra stuff going on, right? Um, so I picked S by J.J. Abrams, which has so much going on. It's like books on books on letters, on annotations, <laughs> on crazy stuff. Um, so there's a, a book. When you buy the book, it, it's very pretty and it like comes in a slipcover. And as soon as you take it out, um, like stuff starts falling out of it. So you have to be really careful when you buy it or when you take it out of the slipcover. Um, so the, it's about a book called The Ship of Theseus, which is supposed to be the last book by this writer named B.M. Straka, who's uh, wherein like a dude with no past is on a strange ship and there's monsters and there's a journey and all this crazy stuff. Um, and a woman named Jennifer finds this book um, out in public left behind by a stranger. She picks it up, starts reading it and sees his annotations and margin notes. She gets like really fascinated by this person who's reading this book and starts leaving her own margin notes puts the book down, and then he comes back and picks it up and responds. So there's the actual book that you're reading, there's the margin notes that you're reading, and then there's also stuff in the book, like actually stuffed in it, like letters and maps and all this, um, I don't even know what to call accoutrement, like, <laughs> I don't know, whoever had to manufacture this book must have been so annoyed, but it's such an interesting <laughs> reading experience, because every time you turn a page, there's like a new thing. So you're actually reading like one, two, three, like, like four stories at once. Um, the book does not glow, it's like matte black with a velvety kind of cover but it is a cool tactile experience in that kind of same way so that's s by j excuse me s by jj abrams and doug dorst okay so uh i i'm gonna i i've never actually heard this said aloud i think it's pronounced illumine my uh, recommendation is illumine by um amy kaufman and jay christoph um and this also is a weird format book um it kind of it kind of reminds me of House of Leaves a little bit, but not at all very scary. Um, it is a science fiction um, young adult, but I actually think. But while reading this, I was like, "Are you sure this is young adult?" Um, a lot of people die. Uh, <laughs> I guess that some young adult that happens a lot. But um, anyway, it uh, it's told through uh, different formats. So there's like emails, there's um, text messages, there's interviews, there's medical reports um and it all takes place in the future um when uh humans aren't living on earth anymore they are living in giant spaceships kind of like Battlestar Galactica-esque um and something goes terribly wrong like right in the beginning um and it kind of tells the story of 
what is going wrong, um, which is like a massive proportions. A lot of people um, are dying. There's a plague. There's like um, an artificial intelligence that's going wonky um, and hurting people. Um, it's a lot of stuff going on, um, but it's pretty easy to understand um, despite the, you know, different formats. But uh, yeah, it also looks really pretty like inside of the book. Um, it has a lot of uh, just like decorations at the page and, um, yeah, just like different like fonts and things like that. It's like a really fun read and super fast. Um, so that is my recommendation, which is Illumine by Amy Kaufman and Jay Kristoff. All right. You're up question wise. <laughs> All right. Um, okay. Tori says, hi, Amanda and Jen. I travel from North Carolina to Tennessee at least once a month and it's eight hours both ways. Wow. Um, I usually download an audiobook that's either eight hours or a little more or 16 hours so I can read one or two going to and from. I download from my Libby app to dull the boredom, and lately I've been listening to what seems like the same book over and over again. <laughs> I recently listened to The Other Woman by Sandy Jones, followed by The Girl on the Train by Paula Hawkins. In parentheses, I know I was late to that one. I'm just not really digging this rut of sad female English main characters in abusive relationships because it makes for a depressing drive. I think Amanda was the one who said she only listens to nonfiction on audio, and I'm okay with that. Recently also listened to Hidden Figures and I'll Be Gone in the Dark on audio as well, but it would have to be super engaging. Basically, I just want a fun audiobook that has the potential to make me laugh out loud. Other audiobooks included YA reads like The Hate You Give, The Fault in Our Stars, Will Grayson, Will Grayson, The Cruel Prince. Uh, didn't finish Fates and Furies because I'm weird about audiobook narrator voices. I'm interested in some fantasy sci-fi if possible. My latest pick for this weekend is Mr. Penumbra's 24-Hour Bookstore. I'll take audible reads, but we'll be sad because I'm a poor library <laughs> science grad student. I feel that. <laughs> Why? Man, Mr. Penumbra's 24-Hour Bookstore is like making an appearance right. a couple times. Okay, I picked a nonfiction book for you, um, which is just the most banana pants thing I have read in forever and your drive will go by so fast and it's bad blood by john carrie rue and uh, you know this book made the rounds of like the book right staff and the contributors and i resisted for a long time because it's a book about like a silicon valley scandal which i don't care about but like people were so insistent about like how just what it is so i finally picked it up and everybody was right it is so i can't even I can't. I can't. I have no words are what I do for a living. I have no words. So it's about Theranos and the founder and the CEO, Elizabeth Holmes, who was like this brilliant student at Stanford um, who dropped out of college and started this like unicorn of a company, which is like a term that they have in Silicon Valley for something that's going to be valued at over a billion dollars. Um, and it was a, a blood testing company where she was um, she created this machine, essentially this like blood testing machine because she's afraid of needles that pricks your finger just a bit and it draws just a tiny bit of blood instead of these big you know intravenous needles and then they can run all of these um, blood tests using this machine that she's invented she got backed by all these like just in investors politicians it was valued at like nine billion dollars she was on the cover of all of these magazines people were calling her the next steve jobs except it was all made up all of it <laughs> 100% crap arama nonsense. Like, she never had the prototype. It never worked. She, like, ah, there was no regulation. Like, she she duped all of these federal investigators. She duped all lawyers. Like, the mo some of the most powerful lawyers in Silicon Valley worked for her. Um, and she churned employees like crazy because people would come in, realize that the, the whole thing was like a scam, and then quit. 
but then her lawyers would go after them so that they couldn't tell their story. Um, and John Carreyrou is a journalist, I think he works at the Washington Post, who first realized that this was going on because one of the employees who quit like sent him a lead. And he started pursuing this. There were like threats from her lawyers. It's just <laughs> banana pants. Like there's no other way to put it. That this person, that this woman got so many... Like Tim Draper, you know, Larry Ellison, these people who are like titans in Silicon Valley, whose entire lives are built on creating these huge companies to invest in a thing without ever seeing a working prototype, without ever seeing any tests that proved that it worked. Um, She had like Safeway, the grocery store line, totally revamping all of their stores to fit a medical clinic that would use these machines that never work. It's just, I can't, I can't, it doesn't make any sense. And you, you will listen to this audiobook and you will be at your destination and time will have gone by. Anyway, so that's Bad Blood, Secrets and Lies in a Silicon Valley Startup by John Carey Rue. Wow. Um, so bananas. That sounds like a trip. Um, so mine is fiction. Um, it is Dread Nation by Justina Ireland. Um, I actually only read this, um, like the physical copy, um, but I had a bunch of people assure me that the uh, audiobook is great uh, with a great narrator. So you won't have a Fates and Furies episode again. Um, so uh, it's also YA, which you seem to enjoy. Um, and they also, I think, read a lot faster sometimes. Um, so uh, this is an alternate history novel, which is my favorite like genre kryptonite. Um, and it follows Jane, um, who is living in this sort of post-Civil War South, um, But in this universe, uh, the Civil War didn't end because Abraham Lincoln. Um, It ended because zombies rose up and started to kill everyone and eat people. Um, So uh, it's a very interesting sort of cross between like extremely serious history of slavery and oppression and zombies. Um, But I think it does, I think it does it very well um, and doesn't make it, it doesn't make it seem too silly. Um, It makes it actually seem very serious. Uh, So uh, girls like Jane who are black are, don't really have a lot of options um, at this time. If you hear a cat meowing, I'm so sorry. (laughs) Uh, So they have to, at least the ones like Jane who have chosen this choice, they protect white women basically or just white people in general from the zombies. They get trained to fight them. Um, And so that's kind of where our story starts. Um, It goes a lot – it goes a lot further than that. Um, Jane's journey kind of – uh, shifts a lot with, uh, where she's going. Um, but yeah, I think it's great. Um, she's also very funny, Jane, the narrator. Um, and so she cracks a lot of jokes despite the like threats to her life that are happening all the time because of zombies and racism. Um, and so I think it'd be a great audiobook um, just because of the, the like wittiness of the narrator telling the story. Uh, and that is Dread Nation by Justina Ireland. Okay, before we move on, we're going to talk about our second sponsor, which is Lola. If we care about the ingredients in the food we eat and the beauty products we use, which I do, should the same not be true of our period care products? Yes, they should. So I didn't know this, but the FDA does not require brands, like brands that make tampons and pads and all that, to disclose a list of ingredients in their period care products. So most of them don't, which is 
news, <laughs> new Yikes. to me. Um, so Lola offers complete transparency about the ingredients found in their tampons, pads, liners, and wipes, all of which are 100% organic cotton with no added chemicals, fragrances, synthetics, or dyes. Plus, with Lola's customizable subscription, you can choose a mix of products that works for you, mix of absorbency, number of boxes, frequency of delivery, all of that. And you can change, skip, or cancel that uh, delivery at any time. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. I loved having this delivered to my house because <laughs> I never pay attention to when this particular instance of my life is about to happen. Um, so it's always a surprise. Uh, and not having to go to the store is yes. Like just having it in my house because it was delivered, having tampons just in my house was amazing. Um, so go to, let's see, uh, for 40% off all subscriptions, you can go to mylola.com. That's my, the word my, lola, one word, dot com, and enter booked when you subscribe. So B-O-O-K-E-D, and that will get you 40% off period care products. Alrighty. Let's see. Is it me? Yes. Question five is from Starla, who says, I'm trying to find some books for my eight-year-old who reads at a fifth grade level. Most books in her age range bore her, and trying to find more advanced books is tricky because she is eight, and sometimes the subject matter is dicey. Um, she really loves fantasy. She's a huge Harry Potter fan. She specifically asks for books that are really thick and will take her a while to read. Series are a plus because she loves to immerse herself in these characters and worlds. Okay, I picked Serafina by Rachel Hartman, which um, is a trilogy? Question mark? Yes, which is a trilogy. So there are three, and they're all huge. This first book is 500 pages, so I think she will be into it. Um, and I think, you know, I was... Flipping through my copy of Seraphina, trying to figure out it was going to be, like, too much for an eight-year-old. But I think if she can handle Harry Potter, there's, like, nothing in here that's going to be more, you know, like, it's not more violent than Harry Potter, like, more dark than Harry Potter. Um, so I think it'll be fine. So this is a high fantasy novel where humans and dragons have peacefully, like, coexisted for decades. Um, dragons have even figured out how to, like, take on human shape and attend court and, and like, visit, you know, the, the royal family dressed as humans uh, as ambassadors and in this book dragons are, have this very like mathematical way of thinking um they're very rational uh they work in the kingdom's university as those, like scholars and teachers and music teachers and things like that um but as the treaty's anniversary the treaty between dragons and humans um the anniversary is approaching things are getting like a little tense and then someone in the murder the royal family is murdered in a like weirdly draconian way, like in a fashion that is specific to dragons. So tensions are super high. Um, Serafina herself is a really gifted musician. She joins the court um, just at the time that this like murder happens. And she's afraid of everyone because she's got her own little secret. And her secret is that she is half human and half dragon. And she has to hide that from everyone while she gets more and more involved in this conspiracy of like who murdered the member of the royal family um, was it actually a dragon or is somebody framing the dragons in order to, you know, disturb the peace for their own political gains? I'm sure you can figure out which one it is. <laughs> there we go. Um, but it's really like fast paced and interesting. It's like um, there's a lot of political stuff you could talk about with a kid in this book. Um, there is a bit of a romance, but it's not anything that like a, you know, an eight year old can't handle. Um, and it's just it's like super like fun and interesting. Um, so that's Serafina by Rachel Hartman. Nice. Okay, so mine is uh, Akata Witch by Nanetti Okorafor, um, especially because you said that uh, your eight-year-old really likes Harry Potter, mm -hmm. and a lot of people have called this uh, the Nigerian Harry Potter, which I don't know how I feel about that <laughs> comparison, like just let it be, let it be its own thing. Um, 
but I think if I had read this as a child, I would have been like just as obsessed with it as I was with Harry Potter. Mm. Um, it has the same sort of like world building that is just like you fall into it and you just like want it to be real so badly. Um, so, uh, so Sunny is the main character. She's 12. Um, she was born in New York, but she goes to Nigeria. And so they call her Akata, which is kind of like a slur for um, someone who is from Nigeria, but goes, but lives in America or is American, but then comes to Nigeria. Um, and so she's kind of an outcast because of this. Um, so she befriends some other outcasts and she realizes that they're like a little weird. And then she realizes that they're weird because they're like witches and wizards basically. Uh, but there's different words for them, um, in this mythology. Um, so together they kind of uh, go to this. It's it's really hard not to compare this to Harry Potter, probably just because of like how I grew up. But uh, they go to this school where they learn how to be, they learn how to master their talents and things like that. Um, but it's also, I think, definitely like a little darker. Um, but some of the uh, Harry Potter books in the in later, like the fifth, sixth, seventh, I think it's about as dark as those. Um, but yeah, the book is really thick, um, and it's, I think it's definitely appropriate for an eight-year-old, but it definitely has the sort of um, maturity of someone who reads at like a fifth or sixth grade level, um, along with the fun, like fantasy world building of Harry Potter. Uh, so that's A Cotta Witch by Nanetti Okorafor. And the next question is by Lindsay. She says, hi, I'm looking for read-alikes of some favorite books, but by authors of color. I don't have a specific genre in mind that I'm requesting. So here's a list of some favorites to give a sense of what I like. You can choose your own adventure. So a couple of ones she lists are Jane Steele by Lindsay Fay, The Rook by Daniel O'Malley, The Seven Waters series by Juliet Mariler, Mariler. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'm so bad with French sounding names. Um, the Lady Astronaut series by Mary Robinette Kowal and the Murderbot series by Martha Wells. Okay, I picked Zero Sum Game by S.L. Huang. And I, the thing, I think the thread that I picked up on the books that you listed is that a lot of them, I've not read the Seven Water series, but I've read all the other ones. And they are very much about like women kicking butt or robots <laughs> kicking butt because the Murderbot doesn't have a gender, if I recall correctly. But there's just a lot of butt-kicking, potential violence, a little bit of smart aleckiness, especially in Jane Steele, and The Rook. There's a lot of smart aleckiness, like banter. Um, and Zero Sum Game is, you know, it was it was pitched to me as, like, a geeky female Jack Reacher, and I see that. Mm. But I think yeah. it's more <laughs> like a geeky trinity from The Matrix. Like, that feels mm. more kind of accurate. I don't know. Anyway, the main character's name is Cass, and she has this, like, weird mathematical superpower where she her brain is constantly running like vector calculus and she can't make it stop um but it does help her do things like dodge bullets and beat up men twice her size because she can calculate exactly the point at which like their knee is going to shatter if she kicks it you know so her like mathematical superpower gives her like essentially makes her a weapon and she has gotten this job um or her I don't know, employment category is a retriever. So people hire her to go get stuff that they've lost. Um, sometimes that stuff is like people. Sometimes that stuff is like a thing she needs to steal. Whatever it is, she doesn't care. She's a little bit of a sociopath, like has no moral qualms here with recovering things. Um, and when the book opens, she's sent out on this job to recover this like 
naive young white girl who's gotten wrapped up in drug smuggling and has been kidnapped by a cartel. Um, and her sister hires Cass to go retrieve her from the drug smugglers, which she does. Um, but while she, uh, she, you know, saves this girl and then the girl asks her to retrieve something for her. And the thing that she wants her to retrieve, you know, that she wants Cass to retrieve for her is her life. Cause she realizes that like, she's going to be hunted forever at the cartel because of the stuff that she's done. Um, the law is always going to be chasing her. She wants her life back. So Cass agrees to help her um, because dollar bills. And in her like kind of quest to help this girl get her life back on track, she gets involved in this deep you know, conspiracy with someone who's essentially her like arch nemesis who has a similar but very different kind of superpower um, that involves like mind control and all that. It's, it's like, just bonkers. It's a techno thriller, super fun um, adventure. And... I, you know, this doesn't really have anything to do with the book, except you can see the influences happening here. But the author, S.L. Huang, has like this fascinating background. She's a degree from MIT, but she works as a like a stuntman in Hollywood and like weapons master and was like the first female weapons master to work in just all of this. She sounds like an actual superhero. Like, I'm pretty sure she could math beat up anyone <laughs> with her brain and also a gun and her fists. That's just amazing. I just love everything about what's happening. So that's Zero Sum Game by S.L. Huang. Nice. Okay, so <clears throat> mine is uh, The Black God's Drums by P. Jelly Clark. Hoping I'm pr- pronouncing that right. Um, so many of these I have never heard spoken aloud. Um, <laughs> And this reminded me of you partially because uh, you like Murderbot, which is a bunch of novellas um, featuring a like snarky protagonist. And so I immediately thought of this. Um, So in The Black God's Drums, um, it's also a kind of alternate history. Um, It follows Creeper, who's this young girl who is basically homeless. She lives on the streets of New Orleans. Um... And uh, she longs to be this uh, like a pilot or, um, you know, someone who flies uh, the giant airships around her. It's kind of it's kind of a steampunky universe. Um, But little does everyone know is that she has um, an African Orisha inside her. Orisha is like a mythical god um, from African folklore. Um, And she has the god of wind and storms inside her. Um, So she kind of has this. um, um, supernatural element to her in this steampunk universe, which makes for a really cool um, story involving uh, the Black God's drums, which is this mysterious weapon that you don't want bad people to get their hands on because it could destroy everything. Um, and also has interesting intersections uh, between like uh, race and gender um, and folklore and all these things. Um, and yeah, the main, the narrator is just like incredibly snarky, uh, not as snarky, I would say as Murderbot, um, <laughs> but definitely um, just very witty um, and e- easy to relate to, which is what I felt when I read Murderbot, surprisingly. Um, so that is The Black God's Drums by P. DeJelly Clark. Also, everyone go read Murderbot. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Our last question is from Emily, who says, um, I'm looking specifically for recommendations. Oh, wait. I'm sure you've gotten questions about mermaid books before, but I'm hoping specifically for recommendations that are not YA, but more literary with mermaid themes. I've loved books like Mermaid and Mrs. Hancock or Alice Hoffman's The Museum of Extraordinary Things. I'm a huge fan of Hoffman's writing style. Um, 
even though, oh, there's a spoiler here, so I'm just going to skip that. I don't necessarily need a romance element to the story, but it seems like uh, all that's out there is teen romance YA, which is just not what I'm craving. If you have any recs for a richer, possibly mysterious read, I'd love to hear about it. Okay. I picked a book that is like way not a YA. It's very dark. Just to, <laughs> actually, let me just give a trigger warning. There's uh, some child abuse. Um, and depending on whether or not you think merfolk are animals, abusive animals, I don't know how to classify that, but it's a, <laughs> it's a very violent book. Um, so that's The Merman by Carl Johan Valgren. And this is about a, a little girl named Nella, little, I think she's like 12, um, and her brother. They live in a little town on the west coast of Sweden. Um, and like life is rough. Their parents are not great. Um, Robert is like really bullied at school and Nella has resorted to like petty crimes, thievery, shoplifting and stuff to pay off his tormentors. Like she pays them essentially to not beat up her brother. Um, so she turns to her friend Tommy, like to ask him for help to get out of this pickle that she's gotten herself in because it comes to a point where like she can't pay anymore. Um, but while she's like with Tommy trying to figure out how to solve this problem, she gets really confused by her his brothers because his brothers, they have this old boathouse, they're like a fishing family. And her his brothers are constantly coming and going from this one boathouse where they're, there's nothing in it. Like it's, it's literally a house for boats, you know? Uh, and they don't, they don't do a lot of work. These guys are not like hardworking guys who are dragging their boats out in their nets to go fishing. They're just coming and going, um, drunk, constantly smoking in this boathouse. So she goes in to figure out what the heck is going on. Um, maybe thinking that like there's money in there. I don't know. And she finds out that they have caught while on a fishing expedition, a merman. Um, and this is not like little mermaid merman. This is like a fish man like he does not communicate you know he doesn't speak english he's not like super pretty like that's not what's happening here um it's a it's a monster kind of a thing um except she feels and he's he's chained up they're obviously like abusing it um and she feels a real connection to this creature and then the connection becomes more like not just oh i feel sorry for you because these terrible people are hurting you but like can it it can maybe communicate with her in some weird ways um she starts to like bring it food and then she has to, you know, decide if she wants to save it or not, or, you know, all this while the stuff is happening with her brother being bullied. So, like, it's a very dark, you know, you say this, this is a book about a merman. People are like, oh, okay. And like, no, it is not, it's not whimsical. This is not fun. <laughs> this is not a fairy tale. This is like a monster is dragged out of the sea and a little girl has to decide, you know, what to do with it while also dealing with like violent abuse. Um, but at the same time, I couldn't stop reading it. Like, it's pretty short. It's only about 200 pages. Um, but it's just, I hate the word unputdownable. I'm sorry. But you're not going to. You're, you're like, you want to, because I've never read a mermaid book quite like that. I've never read a, a mermaid book that doesn't romanticize the, the like, quote unquote creature mm -hmm. or whatever. Um, and instead just treats it like a wounded thing, you know. And it's very much about like man's inhumanity to man and all of that. Um, but it's just really good. It's really dark and really good. So that's The Merman by Carl Johan Balgren. Nice. Okay, so uh, mine is The Mermaid by Christina Henry, who uh, I really enjoy. She writes a lot of uh, fairy tale mythology kind of re retellings, um, making them a lot darker, uh, which she did for Alice in Wonderland and uh, Peter Pan. Uh, and so in this one, she kind of does the same thing. Uh, there's a mermaid. It's kind of based off The Little Mermaid. Um, the mermaid like leaves the ocean cause she's feeling trapped and, you know, wants to 
be where the people are. Um, and uh, but then uh, it kind of mixes in with uh, P.T. Barnum and his circus, which uh, if you know the true story of, he was very abusive and um, did not treat uh, the animals well or even the people. Um, and so he finds the mermaid, uh, wants to make a lot of money off of her. And so she agrees, um, believing that it's just like a job and she can leave whenever. Uh, but unfortunately that is not really, uh, that's not really how Barnum sees it at all because she makes him a lot of money. So it does get dark. Um, so yeah, definitely not a romance young adult novel at all. Um, but more like a dark question of, uh, of kind of about labor, about, um, performing and, you know, um, you know, what it means to be autonomous as a person. Um, so that is The Mermaid by Christina Henry. And that is our show. Thank you all so much for listening. Please go leave us a rating and a review on Apple podcasts. Um, you can go check out TBR at mytbr.co.co. Um, you can find us on social media. I am on Instagram mostly at I'm Amanda Nelson. Where can the people find you, Maya? Um, I am on Twitter at literally Maya, the word literally L-I-T-E-R-A-L-O-Y, by Maya, M-Y-A. And we will talk to you all next week. Bye.